So for those of you that haven't been with us for very long, we've started this journey of the book of Ephesians. And it's, it's, it's a great kind of segue from our prayer time into this because at this point in Ephesians, Paul is just driving home this idea of unity. So the first three chapters of Ephesians are really built around doctrine. They're built around theology. They're built around the the whys behind why we are saved and what Christ has done and the, the living, resurrected Jesus and how he draws all of us from the same point of death in our sin to being saved by grace. And he puts every single person on this level playing field. The reason he does that is because what Christ has done, the great mystery revealed, right, that Ephesians talks about, is that Christ, through his death and resurrection, has taken the Jews and the Gentiles. So that's everyone who's non-Jewish. And through faith in Christ, he has grafted them into one family, one new race, one person, the family of God. So this one group, this one thing, this one family is the, the mystery that God has revealed. There is not two people groups. There is but one. And both Jews and Gentiles are grafted into this, and they come from the same place, dead in our sin. And the entire first part of Ephesians is setting that reality up. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are the, the answer to how to begin to live out those truths. So if we are one, and we are one family, and we are connected, and unity is at the key piece and oneness and all these things, how do we live that out? What does God expect from his church? And Paul writes these last three chapters geared around this idea of the how to begin to living out, to living out this oneness, if you will. So we started in chapter 4 a few weeks ago, and for the, all of chapter 4, for the most part, he has been just hammering this idea of unity. And not unity for the sake of unity, like let's all get together and hold hands and do these things, but unity in terms of one heart. He talks about there is one God, one Father, one baptism, one Lord of all, one Word of God, right? All these things that we've been through, there is one, and we are part of that one. So as part of that one, unity is actually incredibly important because there are some outcomes that come when we truly realize that we are one. I'm going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 13. Brandon led us into 13 and wrapped it up, but I'm going to use 13 as a lead-in to what we can expect because what we're going to see this morning, and I'm going to do this kind of quickly because we spent a good time in prayer this morning, is that when we begin to embrace as a community of God, as the church, true unity, there are some very specific things that God promises. Very specific outcomes that are incredible that Paul is beginning to show us. And we're going to start in verse 13. We're going to work our way through 16. And we're going to see three of these incredible outcomes that come when the church, and that's what we're a part of, right? Not just this particular one, but the true church that professes faith in Jesus Christ, that spans space and time, begins to understand that it is one together, right? There is an outcome, and there are several outcomes, actually, that are incredibly powerful, that are promised for us that we have got to desire to walk into. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to flip open to Ephesians 4.13, and then we're going to go through a few verses quickly together this morning and pinpoint a few of these things. But let's take a moment, let's pray real quick, um, just that God would teach and enlighten our hearts. Lord, this is your word. It is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. You tell us that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Lord, that it divides soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It is the Theopunestos, the very breath of God. Therefore, Lord, it is the anchor point and the foundation upon which everything we believe is built. The world will try and steer us away from your word. It will try and steer us away from your truth. What we're going to see this morning is that we will not let it. We will anchor our heart in unity together to the word of God. 
and we will watch what you do in the church. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Something simple. Lord, just teach by heart. Something I need to hear, something I need to see or experience or something you want to reveal to me in Scripture. God, just for the next few moments, teach me. Take a moment as we do each week and just pray for someone around you. Part of this idea of unity is that I want the people around me spiritually to grow. Everything that unfolds on Sunday morning here is not about you. Pray for somebody around you, even if you think that's weird. Just pray that God will move in them, even if you don't know them. Pray for that guy with this or that young lady this. Just pray that God would move in the people around you. So, Lord, we ask you to hear our cry this morning as we come before you in your word to teach our hearts to reveal truth to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So we're in the thick of this idea of unity, right? Brandon led us into this verse 13 a couple of weeks ago, and that's what we're going to pick up this morning where Paul says this, for chapter 4, verse 13, Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now that, until, ties us to what he talked about a few weeks ago. But he's saying this is the ultimate goal, that we come together in full unity, and when we do, when we have the full unity, and we have a faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, we will attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what this says to the church is, when you truly begin to be fully unified, and, and you come together in the understanding of who Christ is, you are going to receive the full measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, everything that Christ has done and is doing is going to be fully revealed and shown when you experience and understand the unity that you're supposed to have, meaning that the church is the instrument by which God is going to impact the world, and we are called to be unified. So that's the lead-in. He says, once we've experienced this unity and we've been given the full measure, right, of what it means to truly know Christ, the full measure of Christ, then, verse 14, we will no longer be infants. We will no longer be tossed back and forth in the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So he says, as we obtain this unity, as we live into this unity, we're going to be revealed the full measure of the fullness of Christ. And this is what it's going to look like. And the first thing he says is because you're going to experience spiritual growth as a community. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. So he's saying until you understand this unity, you're living as infants in this world, spiritual infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the craftiness and cunning of men and their deceitful ways. So he says unity is a key to not being blown around by the pervasive culture. Unity is actually the key to spiritual growth that will take you from infancy to maturity. Now there's nothing wrong with infants, right? Paul's not saying infants are bad. 
He's not saying children are bad. Essentially, the Bible's full of why children are amazing and how we're called to have childlike wonder and faith. But in this sentence, in this instance, he's saying that having the spiritual discernment of an infant is not where the church should be. What is every parent's biggest fear? If you've got kids, I have kids, if you've got kids, your biggest fear most likely falls in some realm of this category, that someone, some adult, somewhere, will take advantage of your child's inability to discern well and lead them into something that's either dangerous or harmful for them because your child doesn't have the ability to discern either right from wrong or deceit from good, right, or authenticity from lies. That some adult for their own agenda or their own evil ways will lure your child into something. And your child, who is just a child, won't have the discernment to be able to know that this is bad. Now, in some form or fashion, whether they're two years old or all the way up to 17, that scenario plays out in the heart of every parent. I pray that over my own kids all the time. God, give my kids wisdom to know and be able to discern right from wrong. And when someone's trying to lie to them or lure them or exchange what they believe or put them in a situation that they don't understand fully. And it just grows as they get older, right? As they're infants, it's like, Lord, don't let them follow a stranger, right? That's the stranger danger thing. Don't get in the van. Don't do any of these things. Don't whatever. As they get older and you realize that they're bigger and they physically might be able to handle themselves, it's don't get tricked. Don't let some guy come and whisper things to your daughter that she begins to follow a bunch of lies because he tells her things about herself that she doesn't believe, right? That her ability to discern truth is still clouded because she's a child. Or the same thing for your son, or he listens to the voice of older guys and begins to engage and do things with them to try and win their attention or their pleasing or their affection or whatever it is because his discernment is not fully formed that he is who he is in Christ and fully comfortable with that. Like Whatever these scenarios are, it's every parent's largest fear. Paul, who essentially has planted these churches and sees them as children, has this same feeling and understanding for his church. And essentially what he's saying is that he longs for them to grow spiritually so that they will no longer be infants of discernment. Because Paul knows what's coming, right? What's coming? Lies. What's coming? Deception. Men with every craftiness and every cunning way to come and teach them things that are going to be contrary to the word of God. And if they don't have the ability to discern truth of God from lie, they will be swept up by what? By the waves and the winds of culture. Listen to the language that Paul uses. Paul uses language like this. He says, they will no longer be infants where they are tossed back and forth by the waves. Right, in unability, and have no ability to be able to, to right themselves or correct themselves, but whatever comes sweeps them up back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful ways. Have you ever chased a piece of paper on a windy day? where you just can't quite step on it. Brandon and I were together on Friday, and he had the cellophane bag, and he dropped it, and it was pretty windy on Friday, and it went down towards this house, and so he was like, I'll grade it in a minute, and then he goes running after it, and right when he went to pick it up, a wind go, blust, blew it right over the top of the house. Literally gone. He was like, she gone. Like, we, we ain't getting that. That's what it looks like when these, these waves of culture come in, and they tell us things that sound right. They say things like tolerance and peace, and unity. And they are right, but they are right only in the right context. When they draw us away from the word of God, 
they become dangerous. When unity becomes unity for the sake of just being together, when tolerance becomes the idea of accepting all things, either they're con- whether or not they're contrary to the word or not, because we're supposed to be inclusive in our understanding of what this is or what that is, when they lead us away from the truth and the anchor points of Scripture, they're dangerous. And the craftiness of men, who, which always drives themselves and their own agenda. And if you think the church is exempt from this, you need to Google a few things. Because the prevailing movement of sinful men, right? The chasing of celebrity. The chasing of popular voices. The removing ourselves from doctrines like hell because I don't like how that makes people feel. Is dangerous. And Paul is warning the church about the craftiness of men and the tides of culture. Now, here's where unity comes in. What is one of the key ways to combat against being drug out by the waves and the winds of culture? It's not just grounding yourself and becoming super strong. It's actually unity. He says accountability, holding each other into this unity, this place, this common heart, is actually key to being able to grow spiritually and be anchored from the waves of culture. I was reading an article the other day on a guy wrote about uh, Navy SEAL training, BUD training, right? So if any of you guys are familiar with BUD's training, it's this training that Navy SEALs go through. I, I'm thinking about implementing it for our new member class. It's going to be great. <laughs> We're going to get rid of a lot of the riffraff around here, right? You've got to be able to do a few things in order to uh, join here. But I was reading this article. It was talking about the mental and physical toll that this, this training has on you and how most people wash out, right? They ring out. They ring a bell and they're done. But one of the things they go through is they do this thing called surf torture, where essentially the first starting class of 70 folks, they have them link arms and they lay on their backs head first in the surf. And they're in San Diego, right? And the water in the Pacific is freezing. And it's the sensation of that you are essentially drowning, right? The waves wash over from your head first over your body. And it begins to basically, with the riptide, pull you out to sea. It's supposed to be horrifying and terrible. Sounds, sounds terrible, right? But this article, this guy wrote this. He said this. He said, essentially, the secret to getting through all of this, right, is to get fierce about protecting the people around you. You use all your physical strength to anchor, right, yourself to others against the riptide so that the team doesn't get drug out to deeper water. You hold tight so that they can be warmer. So he basically says this, the key to surviving is not about self-protection. It's not about saying, I'm going to do everything I can not to drown. The key to surviving is about getting fierce about protecting the people around you. So I hold tighter and I dig in. And when 70 of us hold tighter and we dig in, no one gets drug out to sea and drown. But if I lay there alone, I do not have the strength to do anything except get pulled by the riptide and ultimately killed. But the key is, right, I anchor myself, I pull in tighter, I get fierce about protecting the people around me. This is the idea of unity in the church. If the idea of self-protection goes away and the idea of getting fierce about protecting the people around me comes into play, then the prevailing winds of culture that want to drag us out to the the murky, treacherous seas, right, they don't have the power. Because the team, the community, they locked arms and they are holding each other steady 
So that when the lies of the world begin to creep in and tell you, that can't be what God says. Right? Like the serpent says to Eve, surely God doesn't want you to not be like him. When the lies of the world begin to whisper into the ears, we are not alone. We are anchored in unity with other believers that say, no, no, this is God's word. I'm going to hold you to it the way you're holding me to it. And I care more about the team, more about the community, more about the church. And I am fierce about it. It's why we say every single Sunday, everything that unfolds here is not about you. If everything here is about you, you're going to be drug out in the murky waters of culture before you know it. You were created to be and live in community. And that community comes at the price of unity. So we as a church begin to grow spiritually through infancy into maturity when we're truly unified. And that's part of the fullness and the measure of Christ. We experience this thing that says, it's not about me, but I'm going to get fierce about protecting the people around me. And if every one of us is fierce about protecting spiritually the ones around us, and we're locked arms, we don't get drug out to the murky waters of culture. We don't exchange the truth of God for lies. Right? So we see this picture of spiritual growth. The second thing she says in verse 15 is also really interesting. In verse 15, he says, when that happens, right, <clears throat> instead, right, of getting drug out into the sea, instead of being tossed around by the waves and blown over the house by the winds of culture, instead, speaking truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Jesus, that is Christ. So instead of being drug out, when we're in unity together, when we're locked arms, when we're fighting fiercely for those around us, when we're locked in like that, instead of being drug out or tossed around by the waves or the winds or the deceitfulness or the craftiness of men and all those things that Satan wants to do to draw you away from God's word, instead, he says, we will begin to speak truth in love and we will be adherent to the one that is the head who is Christ. Now, a popular misconception about this idea of speaking truth in love. Now, it's been around for a long time, this Christian belief that we are called to speak truth in love. And it's been around for a long time because it's right there. It says it, right? We will become willing to speak truth in love. But the misconception about it is this. The idea for most of us as believers, and we say, I'm going to speak truth in love, we think that means to tell somebody something that's hard, but do it really kindly. Right? And that's actually somewhat true. We're going to see that in Ephesians 4.25. There's definitely some truth to that. When someone needs to hear something difficult, you love them enough to tell them. Right? That's part of this. But that's not really biblically kind of where this phrase goes or comes from. It's not really about breaking difficult news to someone in a way that's really gentle. Speaking truth in love is actually about doctrine. It's actually about protecting the community from getting drug out into culture. So instead of being drug out by the winds and the waves and the craftiness of cunning and cunning of men, we become willing to speak real truth in real love. What that means is that when we begin to see the lies of the world creep into the theology of church, when we begin to see the doctrine of the enemy begin to pull people away from God's anchor point of truth and the foundation of his word, we become fierce and willing to stand up and shout against it. Speaking truth in love means that I will, because I love you, not allow you to get drug out into the murky waters, but that I will tell you, you are beginning to believe a lie. And I will not let that lie infiltrate this church. I will not let the lie that says this is contrary to God's word become part of our narrative. 
And unfortunately, if you just lift your head up far enough, you will see that the mainline church has succumbed to the unwillingness or inability to speak this kind of truth with love. And they are watching the communities get torn apart. And they're standing there under the veil of tolerance. And it's hard. It's hard to watch. What Paul is saying here is he's saying the church is not protected against the voices that will come. They are going to come. They've been coming for thousands of years. Lies, deception, false teaching, people pushing their own agenda, celebritizing themselves, talking about how culture should be doing this or sexuality looks like this or whatever those things are. They've been coming around for millennia. What Paul says we've got to be willing to do is not tolerate it. And we begin to speak very willingly against it because we love the church. If you truly love the church and the community, then you are moved to speak against the craftiness and the wickedness and the wind and the waves and the lies of culture and say, you will not steal our children with your lies. We will fight for them. Why? Because it's God's word that we are anchored upon. We're not making these things up arbitrarily. They are spoken and they are true and they are real and they are the foundation of our lives. And if we don't, we will be drug out to sea. And so we will fight and we will speak truth and we will do it in love. And that, that is the kicker, right? The love. How is it love? Well, sometimes when you speak truth in love, it's not always gentle. But it's because you care more about others than you do yourself. The main reason we keep silent is because we're afraid of what people will say about me, which means I care more about me than I do you. We truly begin to love someone more than I don't care what you think about me. I'm not going to let sit idly by while you are drug out by a bunch of lies. And so I love you so much that I'm not going to let you exchange the truth of God for a lie. And I'm not going to let the church do it. And that's why I tell you all the time, if we ever in this church begin to not preach the word of God, not work through scripture, not use it as our primary resource, you get up and you leave and on your way out, you say, we're leaving because you quit holding on to the word of God. You have that right and you should love us that much. So he says that unity actually brings about a willingness to speak real truth into real love. And we do it, why and how? He says right here. We do it, right, because we are under the head who is Christ. It's not because you've got the power. It's because we belong to something much bigger than ourselves. This is not about me. I'm not the head of anything. I'm simply part of something that is bigger than all of us as you are, that Christ is the head of. Brandon and I have nothing to offer. Christ has everything to offer. So he says, you will then, right, as you grow spiritually, instead of gauging and falling into culture, you will begin to speak real truth into real love, and that will bring about maturity as community. Listen to this last point. He says this in verse, uh, thir- verse uh, 15, or well, maybe 14. Actually, I changed my page here. Let's go back. He'll say this in uh, verse, verse 16. From him, 
The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. So as we do these things, right, as we, as we grow spiritually, as we, we hold each other accountable, as we fight fiercely for the people around us, as we become willing to speak truth in love and not let the church implode on itself because it wants to succumb or be moved by culture or not be ridiculed or not be the one church that already points at and says, you can't, you're not tolerant or you don't let people do this or that. Instead of all that, right, we're going to speak willingly and fiercely, truth with love. And when we begin to do that, we begin to mature. We move from this infancy to this this adulthood, this spiritual growth. And he says, and the body begins to work this way. Every ligament that is strengthened is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, and it grows and it builds itself up. So he's saying this, as you do this, as you fight for unity fiercely, and as you speak truth and love, God is going to mature you. He's going to grow you. You are going to be strengthened. But that strength, that maturity that you are experiencing is not for you alone. That maturity and growth you are experiencing is actually for the body. That every ligament that is tightened holds these bones together. Every muscle that is strengthened makes the body stronger. You weren't saved and redeemed and rescued so that you could look around at the church and say, what do you have to offer me? You were saved and you were redeemed and you were rescued so you could plug in like a ligament that holds the elbow joint together. So that together you would work with muscles and other ligaments to make this body fierce and strong. Anchored to the word of God. This is not about you. Your growth and your maturity is so that you can plug into the body. If you think you exist as an individual member, just pursuing your own spiritual growth, going to church online, doing all those things, singing all the great songs, and you live on an island, you are missing everything that Christ is calling us to as the church. You exist saved and redeemed, to plug into something beautiful of which you are a mere part of hundreds. And together, right, we see maturity. Individually, we'll never see maturity. It doesn't matter how many PhDs we have here. It doesn't matter how many Bible scholars go here. It has nothing to do with maturity. Some of the brightest and smartest people I know, including professors I had in seminary, are fully lost. Maturity isn't about what we lock away in our heads. Maturity is about understanding that my life is not mine. That everything I have is poured out for Christ and his community. This is what Paul's getting at. Because Paul knows the world will try and tear the church apart. And not just the world, but once the world infiltrates, the church tears itself apart. Wolves in sheep's clothing. So Paul says this. He says, unity It's the key to understanding the full measure of Christ's glory. So grow spiritually together. Fight fiercely for those around you. Don't be tossed around like infants on the waves. Lock arms and hold tight. Be willing to speak truth, real truth, into real love. Right? Be willing to stand up when deceit and craftiness and cunningness and lies under the guise of words like tolerance and peace, begin to creep into the church and lead people away from the true gospel. 
And then ultimately remember that all of this is about the maturity of the community, not just you. We want you to grow. You have to grow, but your growth is actually pointed to help strengthen the whole body. It's not about you. So I was thinking through all these things, and I thought, what are the three kind of quick things that if you had to walk out of here, what would they be? This is kind of what I said. I said, essentially, look, link arms with your brothers and sisters, right, and fight the urge to self-protect. All of us have this innate thing in us that just wants to keep our own head above water. So in that SEAL training, your idea would be just keep my head above water enough not to drown. Actually, the truth is if you do that, you're just going to drown or get pulled away. If you fight the urge to simply self-protect, it's ultimately the destruction of the church because it becomes about me. So link arms with your brothers and sisters, which means be willing to be known, be willing to risk, be willing to know people. Lock arms, fight fiercely for them, and by doing so, the whole community thrives. None of us end up getting drugged out by the riptide of culture because we've linked arms together and we're fighting fiercely for each other. And that means fighting fiercely for the ones that sometimes are hard to fight for. The church is made up of all kinds of people. Some you get along with great, some you don't. Some are easy to manage, some are hard. That's part of the beauty. We fight for those that aren't always easy to fight for because they're part of something bigger than myself. So we link arms, right? Second thing I encourage you to do is to bury your life in the word of God so that you know false doctrine when you hear it or see it. Part of the giant problem is that as believers, we don't know God's word well enough to even know what false doctrine is. So the things of the world begin to tickle our ears and we're like, that sounds great. Until we realize that in the subtlety of those words, they're actually contrary to the majority of what scripture teaches, right? Things like, hey, you got to look out for yourself. you got to protect number one. You take care of yourself. There's probably no greater statement that's a lie or contrary to the gospel than that. No, you don't take care of yourself. Everything about the gospel is death to self. Jesus, I want what you want. I want what's for the people around me. If you're a dad or a mom, you know exactly what that bleeds and looks like. But you don't know if you're not in the word of God. If you're not reading scripture for yourself, if you're not spending time in the word of God, you will not know deception and false doctrine when you hear it. You should be listening to everything that I preach up here or that Brandon preaches up here, and you should be able to go, that sounds funny. Because I know God's word enough to know he may have said something I needed to ask about. You should put up red flags. Everything should be balanced and poised off of this. So bury yourself in the word of God. If you aren't, start reading. It's not hard. We'll give you tools. We've got a Bible reading plan. Brandon puts out a, uh, an outline every week. Like, just jump in with us, right? And then finally, the last thing that I want you to see is, is essentially is this. When it comes to the body of Christ, I want your first thought or the first question you ask yourself to be this always. How can I be a blessing? And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about anywhere that you go. If you decide that this church isn't for you, that's fantastic. We want you to go where God leads you. So if you go to another church and you walk in those doors, the very first thing I want you to ask yourself as you open those doors is how can I be a blessing here? Not what do they have for fourth graders? Where's the rock climbing wall? Like none of these things. I want you to go, Lord, how can I be a blessing here? If we all begin to ask ourselves that, that type of self-denial, that type of death to self that says how can I be a blessing here or to these other people? 
How can I write Pam a note? How can I speak to someone that I know just laid their heart out in a prayer request to let them know that I care for them? How can I walk in here and be a blessing? How can I scrub a toilet so that nobody has to use a dirty one? How do I love these children so that we don't spend all of our resources on things that our own people can do? How can we give all of this money that God has blessed us with away? How can I be a blessing? And if you translate that to other parts of your life, like to your family, it will revolutionize your heart. So when we walk in from work and you look at your spouse, instead of saying, how are they going to greet me? What do they have ready for me? You get to say, how do I come home and be a blessing? How do I take the pressure off of my spouse? How do I take the struggle the best I can away from my children? How do I not add weight and gravity to situations? How do I be a blessing? It can be small, it can be giant, but if you ask yourself those questions, right, it's going to revolutionize your heart and it'll change the church. So link arms with your brothers and sisters. Fight fiercely for those around you. Fight the urge to self-protect. Just do it. Be at a place in your heart of hearts, your true heart of hearts, where you're willing to speak those difficult things. Fight against culture. Bury yourself in the word of God and no false doctrine from truth. And finally, in all of it, ask yourself the question, how can I be a blessing? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word in which you have just lavished on our lives, that this idea of unity is, is real and it's powerful and it's true. And, and it's not just for the sake of just appearance. It's for the sake of functionality. The church is called to be so ingrained together, Lord, that this becomes our call. Lord, with everything that we are, let us fight the urge to self-protect. Let us fight the urge to ask the question, what's in this for me? How do I look after myself? Everything about the church and actually about our salvation is about surrendering ourselves to others, to you first, to the world second, and people around us. But to you, how do I die to my own desires? How do I fight for those around me? How do I speak truth? How do I know your word well enough? Lord, how am I going to be a blessing today? Lord, I pray that you would take these questions and you would press them deep into our soul that we might walk out of here with a different perspective of church and with a different attitude of who we are called to be in this mix. For you are our king, and you are our redeemer, and you are the head, and this church is yours. Let's stand together and close our time in worship. How firm a foundation he saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he had said to you for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am straight
encourage you to walk out of these doors empowered by this singular truth, that together we are a part of something that is so much greater and so much bigger than ourselves. And we are called to true unity. And in that unity, we will expect and we will see the full measure of Christ fully revealed. Go in peace.